Hello and welcome to the Generation 2300 podcast. Uh, Anna Morton here and I am back with a review of a book that I just found so motivating and joyful and exciting and I hope that you will pick it up and read it after listening to this. So it is Wake the Bride by Jeff Kinley who is one of the prophecy pros, one of my favorite podcasts. Um, uh, so who is the bride? I'm going to take a quick look at the theme and explain the title. Uh, to start with, the love story between Christ and his church is structured just like a traditional Jewish marriage. So there's a betrothal, then the groom goes back to his father's house to add on a home for himself and his bride. Sound like John 14? Um, Then at an undisclosed time, he comes back for his bride and there's a ceremony making the marriage official. So in the church's relationship to Christ, we're at the point right now where he's back at his father's house building a home for us. And when he's done, he will come back for us. And this could be at any time. Um, Check out chapter 5 of this book if you want more detail about that. Uh, The church, the bride, who are those who trust in Christ alone for salvation, is falling asleep. Um, We're forgetting who it is that we love and we need to be looking for him to return. And this book points us to God's call in his word to wake up because our bridegroom is coming. So... Jeff Kinley writes this book for those who want to know what's going on these days and how they can live their lives when it looks like the world is nearing its end, which I would say that it does. He says, chances are you're one of those curious souls not satisfied with being left in the dark, imagining, guessing, hoping. You're hungry for some concrete confidence concerning the last days of planet Earth and the return of Jesus Christ. This book will help satisfy that hunger. It fills that void where your voyeuristic curiosity dwells, replacing it with knowledge and truth. So my um, short opinion to start off with, in case you're in a hurry. Uh, like his book, uh, The Prophecy Pro's Illustrated Guide to Tough Questions About the End Times, written with Todd Hampson, This book is written with unique clarity and that laser focus on the truth of God's word. You know, there's no padding out with just nifty illustrations or flippant funny stories to entertain you. Um, It's to the point, going through the book of Revelation, promise by promise, warning by warning, exhortation by exhortation for the church, from Christ to his bride, all with the same purpose. For her to be ready and looking for him to come back for her. He points, Jeff points this out in the introduction. He says, Revelation was written to the church and for the church. So um, now to the slightly longer review. <laughs> so listen on if you want to hear more quotes and details on the structure and the content in the book. Oh, Jeff structures and introduces the book in the introduction 
as a mountain climb up the peak of Revelation. In other words, it won't be a breeze. It will require preparation and some research. And the top is attainable if you just take it step by step. End times prophecy can be intimidating if you haven't studied it. But this book proves that understanding it is not out of reach. He says, You think if you try, you might not make it to the top and comprehend God's prophetic plan. But others have been there and know the way. You won't walk alone on this journey. Together, we'll make the climb, and scripture will be our personal guide. Um, like in his book with Todd Hampson, he makes the subject accessible, acknowledging that there are hurdles and complications to make it through, but that it's God's purpose to reveal the truth, hence the name Revelation. He says, yes, Revelation can be a foreboding mountain, but you can understand it. This book will be somewhat of a hike, one that involves exploring the clues God has scattered throughout scripture and history. And beginning in chapter two, we really dive into the book and start climbing the mountain. So the first leg of the climb in chapter two reduces, introduces us to the bridegroom described in Revelation one. In the midst of the seven lampstands was one like the son of man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun, shining in its strength. So each description in these verses is unpacked and cross-referenced in this chapter of the book. Um, and when we look at this, we realize he's not the baby in the manger anymore. And we need to wake up and remember. Jeff reminds us that our bridegroom is God. And even John, who knew Christ in person on earth, falls at his feet as dead when he sees him like this. So I think we probably will too. This is what he looks like right now. Jeff says, our first reaction upon seeing the glorified Christ in heaven will be to fall on our faces in profound wonder and worship. This is our bridegroom, our savior and God, the most glorious and only perfect being in all of time and space, as well as outside of time and space. And it, it's hard to believe that we have such wonder awaiting us. So in chapter three of the book, we pass by and examine the letters to the churches in Revelation two through three, especially Laodicea. They were the lukewarm church who was definitely drowsy. And we look at why this problem begins with individual Christians falling out of love with their bridegroom. Uh, Jeff writes, travel to Laodicea today and all you'll find are rubble and ruins, but far worse than their landscape is their legacy. Jesus didn't care about their banks, wool, or medical school. He cared about her, the apple of his eye, the love of his heart, 
the church, his bride. As we prepare ourselves for the return of the bridegroom, we must guard ourselves from living like lukewarm Laodiceans. Instead, let's clothe ourselves with the wedding dress of pure love for him. Um, right, next we lift our eyes to the blessed hope, the rapture, and climb a bit further in chapters 4 and 5 of the book. So it's what's coming next for the church and why does it matter? Jeff writes, is what we have come to know as the rapture legit or not? The answer to this question is of monumental importance. If the events depicted in Revelation 6 through 19 are still future, and if there is no rapture, then believers are destined to endure the horrible judgments and plagues that God sends upon the earth during the Great Tribulation. So it is not a belief to be easily dismissed. Uh, we take a close look in the chapter at what the Bible says about Christ coming back for his church, just why he's doing it, and what it will be like. We define gravity. Here's a quote from 1 Thessalonians 4, the classic rapture passage. Where the Lord himself will descend from heaven, the shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Jeff writes, you can mock or dismiss the rapture, but you cannot deny that when it occurs, it will send the world into mass panic. However, for believers, it will be just the opposite experience. There will be peace instead of panic, transformation instead of terror, celebration, not confusion. Those Christians who are caught up will meet Jesus face to face, the mere thought of which brings us rapturous joy. Perfect word. And I say amen to that. Examining the rapture matters because, one, we need to know it's the next thing coming for the church. And because of that, judgments of the Great Tribulation in Revelation 6 through 18 are more briefly examined in Wake the Bride in chapters 8 through 9. Because Jeff's focus is on what awaits the bride, not the world and unbelievers. So the next stop on the mountain brings us to the glorious future of the bride in chapter 6, which are rewards at the Bema Seat. Um, but the book focuses on the important central theme of, um, of even our rewards, and that is Jesus Christ. Those rewards are for His glory, and it inspired me as a reader, rather than dragging me down with regret, it's like it's a chapter of correcting perspective. Jeff says, when considering how great our God is and Revelation's vision of his regal glory and infinite worth, we are naturally captivated with awe. As a result, bringing honor to this God becomes our greatest passion and pursuit. Seeing who Jesus really is produces wonder, admiration, respect, amazement, astonishment, reverence, esteem, and worship. And the practical so what of that filters down into our everyday lives in tangible ways. That's why it's so important to study Revelation. Right, then in chapter 7, it's back to Revelation chapters 4 and 5 and the throne. 
that's maybe the most jolting call to wake up. It's realizing that this glory of God is real and that one day the bride will be there singing, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. I get goosebumps thinking about that, that description from Revelation. Uh, next in chapter 10, we continue into our glorious future as we gaze in wonder at Revelation 19, the return of Christ to earth in power and glory at Armageddon. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. This is how he's described in verses 11 through 12 of Revelation 19. This is when the earth is cleansed in judgment by the Son of God, and his bride will be with him. Jeff writes, Mere words and human emotion are insufficient to describe what we will be feeling on that day. But this we do know. Unlike past military heroes who have ridden furiously into the face of the enemy, there will be no apprehension or fear for us. Descending from the sky that day, our fright will have long been replaced by confidence and holy zeal. Because look at who we have with us. He doesn't just fight. He doesn't fight at all. He just wins. And I have to add, we won't, um, we won't be disturbed by that justice that he pours out on the condemned. It's, it's pretty... Uh, unrelenting. Um, because we will be glorified ourselves and understand his perfection, even in his judgments. But I have to also have to say, if the instant death and damnation of millions of souls at Armageddon doesn't motivate us to share the gospel now, then we're definitely asleep. Then we reach the top of, my, the, top of the mountain in my favorite two chapters. Heaven and Hope. Chapter 11 in the book examines our eternal future, the being in the presence of God and how it could never compare to anyone's personal idea of heaven. People try to make heaven a place filled with their greatest desires, you know, like golf courses or ice cream or cats, cat person here. But how can we improve on the actual promise of God that will be in his perfect unveiled presence. I mean the glory. Jeff writes, even heaven itself is described this way. The tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. But imagine for a moment that this was the only thing that we knew about heaven, that God is there and that will be with him. Would that be enough for you? Then Jeff, he finds and quotes many references from scripture which describe heaven. And the reality is mind-blowing. I'll let you read it to find out what they are. So all of these truths in this book are here 
to wake us up. Chapter 12, called The Beauty Awakes, is about Christ's bride remembering who she is and living like it now. We've made it to the mountaintop and see what God's plan is for the church, and it's a truly glorious plan filled with victory, peace, joy, and the love and presence of God. The time we spend on this fading planet is short, so short in light of the eternal joy that awaits us. We need to spend it being alert and active, not asleep. 1 Thessalonians 5 tells us, You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Christ himself says in Revelation 22, Surely I am coming quickly. To finish off the last quote, Jeff says, Jesus' voice today trumpets reveille to a drowsy bride. The voice is a familiar one. We've heard it thousands of times before. It's that same voice calling to us right now, awakening us to a new day in our life with him. Wake up, rise up, look up. And it's a voice that we will hear again, maybe soon. A voice calling us skyward. Beloved, behold, your bridegroom comes. Wake up, bride. Make yourself ready. I'm so excited. <laughs> Here's my takeaway. Um, so reading this book did help me wake up such an exciting way and not in an unpleasant sort of way, like when your alarm goes off in the morning and you have to drag yourself out of a warm, soft bed. There's no dread about it. If you love Christ, it's more like this. You're having a dream. It's an okay dream where you get to do a lot of fun things, but it can be hard sometimes and you feel like something's missing. Maybe there should be more to your life, more meaning. You can't quite figure out what it is. Then lightning bolt. You suddenly jolt awake and realize that Jesus could literally be coming at any second. You read the truths in this book and your brain just whirls with joy and excitement thankfulness and a feeling of I don't have enough time to do what God has me here to do. He could be here as I'm speaking, as I'm thinking. Maybe. Like, So waking up to the reality of what Jesus Christ has promised for his bride, for the church, and of the eternal joy that awaits us is the greatest comfort and motivation possible. I mean, no matter what life brings, I always find hope and courage and joy in these promises. This book is for those curious souls not satisfied with being left in the dark, as Jeff says. For us members of the body of Christ and for anyone who wants their days on this earth to count. Just put your faith in Jesus Christ alone and join us in waiting for him. Join us in waiting for that joy that's promised and definitely coming. So I hope you'll pick up this book and be amazed and jolted awake by the promises of God examined inside its pages. Um, you can find Jeff's book anywhere that books are sold. I recommend Harvest House Publishers, who published the book. Or thrift books. There's a lot of copies there too. If you're looking for a bargain. 
So thank you so much for reading. Well, if you're reading the blog, huh? And thank you for listening on the podcast. And remember, uh, you can find me at Generation 2300 on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Rumble, YouTube, and Telegram. Or if you're on the gram, on Instagram, my handle is Anna.Gen2300. If you want to keep up with me and the promises I'm always finding in God's word. The amazing promises. So I will catch you next time. Unless, of course, the rapture comes first. Mm-hmm.